these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. Mummy's with the maggots, man. You fucked up, bitch. A true classic never goes out of style. Who gives a fuck about movies? Hello, and welcome to the Debate of the Dead podcast. I'm your host, Queen Cream. Today, we are talking about a newer movie. It came out last year in 2022, and chances are, even if you have not seen this movie, you at least know about it, and that is due to it is its gigantic viral marketing campaign. This is Smile from 2022. We've got quite a cast in this movie. First of all, Kyle Gallner's in it. I'll watch anything that man is in. Oh, I want to be his friend so bad. He's so cool. Um, Sosie Bacon, daughter of Kevin Bacon, is the lead role as Rose Cotter. And she is phenomenal in this movie. Phenomenal. Uh, Cal Penn has a supporting role, I would say. Little, you know, a couple of good scenes there, which is pretty cool. Gay icon, um, we'd love to see it. There's just overall some some interesting people in this in this movie. Um, also in this movie is Caitlin Stacy. She plays Laura Weaver, um, and that is relevant because this movie smile is based on a roughly seven minute short film called laura has never slept uh or laura never sleeps i'm sorry and that short film is what essentially which was also written and directed by the director of smile parker finn would eventually go on to be smile so uh you know we'll be talking a little bit about that short film today and um how it plays into the larger narrative that we got there is no one here to talk about this movie with me it is just me today it's just family on the runway (laughs) and that is because a plethora of things one i like to do solo episodes every so often to kind of switch it up and you know change up the formula serve you something a little different maybe uh, you know when i don't have anyone to talk to these episodes tend to be a little shorter so give you a little shorter episode and and almost do like a like a review analysis kind of thing so you know it's kind of, it's just a it's a switch up but also i've been having technical difficulties galore i just got double sick in a row like literally it was like throat infection oh thought you were healthy boom food poisoning so that that sent me back and work's been kind of crazy there's just a lot lot of stuff happening in my personal life and I'm trying to keep on the best schedule I can. So apologies that this episode is a little late, but I promise I'm doing the best I can to stay on track. And the the world hates me with the technical difficulties galore because I was going to give you a different episode with the guest. We tried to record and everything and the the internet was just not doing it that day. So next week uh, you will get that episode. But anyway, enough about what is going wrong, and let's talk about what is going right. So right off the bat, I've seen Smile now, I think, three times. I saw it once in theaters, once when it hit Paramount+, Plus, and then once last night to rewatch it for this podcast. And my feelings about the movie are overall pretty much the same. It's a good movie. It just doesn't... Uh, it, it doesn't really have... 
gravitas, I guess, in the way that some of the other movies, especially that came out in 2022. I mean, I've talked about it before on this podcast. 2022 was just a event movie after event movie after event movie. We got three major horror franchises got a new entry. We got Scream 5 in 2022. We got Halloween Ends in 2022. And we got a brand new remake, reboot, legacy sequel, whatever you want to call it, Hellraiser movie. So the fact that that happened all at three different parts of the year. And then we have The Menu. We had Nope, a new Jordan Peele movie. We had, oh my God, what even else came out in 2022? We had so many just every movie felt like an event we had this movie which had a viral marketing campaign people were going to baseball games and staring at the camera if you remember when that was going on and then megan would shortly follow suit uh, at the beginning of this year 2023 taking some notes from that clearly and doing another viral marketing campaign i love a viral marketing campaign okay i think they are so much fun and they get people involved and they get people excited to see the movie. Because even if you don't know what's going on, you're like, oh, OK, I remember when they were going to baseball games and shit. So let's see what what that's all about. You know, we got both X and Pearl last year. Bodies, bodies, bodies. We got a new orphan movie. Every my point is every single movie that came out in 2022 horror movie wise felt like this big spectacle that you had to be in on at the time. In 2023, I don't necessarily feel the same. I feel like it kind of started out like that, right? Like we had Infinity Pool, we had Megan, we had Cocaine Bear, Scream 6, obviously. And then this summer, it's just been kind of moot, you know? Like I can't even... I mean, we had Evil Dead Rise, which was, you know, fun and awesome in April. And now... I mean, I'm not really even looking, I can't even think of any horror movies that coming out the rest of the year that I know of yet that I'm even really looking forward to. I mean, Saw X, I'm very excited for and going to go see that in theaters. But other than that, I'm not even really certain for this year. I mean, a movie just came out, um, I can't even remember the title, but it just looks so generic and like jump scary and PG-13. I was like, what is going on with this right now and um i maybe maybe that movie's great it's i want to say it was called like the 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 by man or the closet man or i don't know something of that nature um but who knows maybe that movie's phenomenal and i should not shit on it before i see it but my point is the event the movies don't feel like events this time they feel like every other year like oh another another jump scary horror movies coming out blah 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 we've had we've had definitely a fair share of good ones but it's not as bombastic as last year is um is all i feel but anyway back to ranking it back into smile it just it it feels like one of those run-of-the-mill movies it's executed well definitely like the execution is the best part about this movie because i overall the i think the acting is great except for one role who's we'll talk about it shortly but there is one actor in this movie and i just I do not get it. I do not understand how they were cast in this movie. Anyway, the acting overall is very good. And the premise is simple enough to follow, but deep enough to where you're like, all right, how are they going to how are they going to break it? Because we've seen this format of of death, curse, haunt, plagues, 
a character and we spend the entire movie watching them try to figure it out the mythos of it and how to stop it. I mean, it follows even final destination uses this format. Um, um, it's like very bird box in a way. If we remember that pandemic movie, um, we've seen this, we've seen even, even fucking, um, one miss call who remembers that 3% rotten tomatoes movie. Uh, there's a lot of movies that follow this, this email cursed email chain format and for that genre this one was done really well i would say i i think the, like i said the execution is there and the director parker finn maybe even to his detriment put in a lot of really artistic and stylized shots there are so many upside down shots in this movie girl i am disoriented <laughs> no, not really. I just I've talked about I'm kind of getting over the the camera tilts upside down to show that the character's world is about to be flipped upside down trope that we've seen a lot. And, you know, usually it's like a car driving into the danger into town or whatever where it happens. So there's a lot of those shots in this movie, but whatever. It's not it's not that big of a deal. It's just a personal personal gripe, I guess. But yeah, let's get into the actual movie itself. So um, the movie begins on our main character here. We get, I get thrown into who she is. Her name is Rose Cotter, like I said, played by Sosie Bacon, Kevin Bacon's daughter. And I think she does a good job. I, I can't say I've really seen her in too much other than this, but she definitely looks a lot like her father. Um, and that's very apparent. <laughs> so she is a psych- psychologist. Um, psychiatrist uh at a, at a mental hospital who's cal Penn is her boss really cool uh, he plays dr morgan desai and we see you know she's with a patient uh whose name is carl and he's he's a little uh, i don't know the the way to say it but she, you know she works with mental patients so we just kind of get a, a glimpse into her life and she has a discussion with her boss about what's going on and i think i think in this these Few, first few establishing scenes, we just get to see that Rose is dedicated to her work and knows what she's talking about because she's using all these um, medical terms, all these official scientific diagnoses and things like that. So I, I think it's just to paint the picture that, you know, she's a hard worker, passionate about what she does and is is into it. And then she gets a call from another nurse saying that there's a, a new patient um, about to be admitted. Oh, and also when she's talking to her boss, a big thing is we, you know, we kind of get the picture that, you know, she's a nice girl because her thing is she wants to admit, excuse me, she wants to admit this new resident into the, um, program that they have at this hospital and, uh, Dr. Desai, her boss is all like, well, the board is down my throat because we keep offering residency to these people with no insurance. And uh, Rose is like, of course they have no insurance. They're like homeless and, and need help and are never going to get it if they can't, you know, get into a facility like this. So more just, you know, quick character development. It's nice. It's cute. Shows us what's going on. But, um, then she gets the new patient call, and it is a woman named Laura, Laura Weaver. And as I was mentioning before, this woman played the main role of, of the short film. And in a way, the short film sort of is a, pr- a prequel, a prelude to what happens in Smile, 
let's let's take a moment to discuss the short film real quick because I mean it is a short. It's only like seven minutes, so it's 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 very similar to this opening scene, uh, this cold open of Smile, in which Laura is going to her therapist, who is this um, this man, older gentleman who's you know listening to her problems, and she's giving a speech that is very similar to the one she's giving here. There's even some exact quotes carried over, uh, which is pretty cool to see. And there's a lot of focus on her. I think Parker Finn is the kind of director, and he even said this in in one of the making of featurettes on the Blu-ray, he's the kind of director who likes to really push his actors and get them to do something that may seem impossible. So a lot of the shots are really focused on them and their face, their emotion that they're giving in the moment, that kind of thing. And I I say this because in the short film, there's a lot of really close-up shots on Laura's face as she's you know, giving this monologue about how she's scared to fucking death of this entity that only she can see. Um, a big difference in the short film, however, uh, is that she describes the entity as being more of like almost like a Freddy Krueger demon. It's something that really only affects her in her dreams. And she's trying to stay awake uh, because she doesn't want to go to sleep. So she's doing she's asking for coffee. She's like taking all these pills to stay awake. It's very Nancy Thompson inspired. It seems like it's like that kind of thing. And essentially what happens is by the end, she the the therapist in Laura hasn't slept does something similar to what the therapist in Smile does much later in the movie where she's like, are you sure you're even real or whatever? And, you know, he kind of does the smile and the the envi- really cool special effect happens where the environment starts to kind of crumble around her. And you see this like the walls just suddenly become decrepit and whatnot. And it goes back to the man and he his eyes like roll to the back of his head so you just see nothing but white as he's like smiling and talking about her her inner demons and whatnot so it's it's pretty antagonistic that way and she ends up like backing into a corner trying not to look at it because she's also talking about how if the the demon's trying to show her its face and if she sees it she thinks that's how she's going to die and um so eventually in a pretty suspenseful tension filled scene, you know, she looks back, there's nothing there. And then a jump scare happens where the, this, this creature kind of appears before her, she screams and it's, it's pretty much end after that. So it's just a quick little, you know, it's almost a proof of concept if, of what smile would become, if that makes sense. Um, because even in the opening scene here of smile, where we see, Laura talking to Rose there's they're doing that close up shot thing again where they're just showing their faces and the camera is like directly head on in front of them cutting between the two as they have this conversation so they have like no headroom at all it's very like improper framing if that makes sense which you know obviously that's the the point but just to kind of rationalize what the shot looks look, composition looks like compared to quote a normal shot my point is the director's doing a lot of these really stylistic shots and it starts as soon as the movie begins um so yeah they go through a very similar conversation where she says you know she's having trouble sleeping she's seeing this entity that only she can see it's smiling at her it's wearing other people's faces kind of like a mask and 
eventually she the Laura the patient looks at Rose and gets super scared like flies back in her chair and we the audience see absolutely nothing there's nothing there she did she got spooked at the wind is what it looks like to us and Rose makes a mad dash for the emergency telephone that's in the room to you know call for call for help she's like uh oh this patient is is dangerous or whatever i think there's a there's a number term 5150 or something or maybe that's later i don't know but she calls you know she calls the phone she's like basically like i need help in this room and when she turns around she doesn't hear any noise no more screaming laura is just standing there perfectly still smiling at rose and she has a broken shard of the vase when she when she flew back in the chair and got scared she tipped over a vase and broke it She's holding a broken shard of that vase and while making perfect eye contact, not even wincing, uh, still still smiling, very broad, takes the shard and slowly starts cutting, starting at like upper cheek temple area all the way down the throat. It is a gnarly effect. This movie was very big on practical effects. You would be surprised how much of this movie was done practically. And we'll, I'll definitely be sure to point out every every moment of its glory because you know I'm a practical effects whore, baby. I love that shit. The, I, it's to my knowledge that really the only CGI was to enhance the smiles a little bit, like make them just like a teeny bit more Uncanny Valley larger so it didn't seem as... Um, is jarring, I guess. That's another thing too. This movie is is risky in that it chose to weaponize the smile, something that is traditionally, you know, it's a sign of welcomeness, it's a sign of friendliness, something that everybody has probably done multiple, multiple times in their life. So to weaponize something so human is going to be risky because there is this movie could have very, very, very easily been considered silly or too silly and you know what i'm sure there are people who have seen this movie and think it is silly because they're like oh people are just smiling at each other that's lame um but this movie overall is more of of an allegory for mental health and you know basically a call to action to just keep yourself healthy um so it, it isn't so much about the smile per se it's more about what's behind the smile you know i mean there's some very clear metaphors i mean ever you know the person's smiling but we don't know what's going on really in their head and if the whole movie feels very there's a depravity element to it and that we're just watching this woman desperately trying to explain her situation and get anyone to believe her but they just can't because it sounds so outlandish and that there's just there's no convincing anybody so it's 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 desperate uh, i mean uh megan the stallion said it best they keep saying speak your truth and at the same time say they don't believe <laughs> basically the the plot thread of this movie <laughs> so after this cold open we get a jarring title card where it is just i mean rest in peace you if you have any form of epilepsy or light sensitivity because it is just flashing red and white making this obnoxious like Boom, 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 sound while just the word smile flashes on the screen repeatedly. And so the thing, the thing with this this demon transference, right? Because that's that's how it starts, is the form, the current 
afflicted person with the smile demon, curse, whatever you want to call it, kills themselves in front of another person while smiling. And in every instance we see of that happen, the person who the curse is getting like transferred to is almost in a trance. Like none of them ever like look away or like try to run. They kind of just stare like a car wreck. Like they just can't take their eyes off of it because Rose just kind of watches as this woman slowly slits her throat. And even like, like she's reacting to it, but she isn't, she can't look away. And even even later when we see like the gardening shears guy and the security footage, it's the same thing. Um, when we see even even in the end of the movie when um, it affects Kyle Gallner's character, Joel, it, it's the same thing. Like they just can't look away or utter any words to stop it. So I think I think that's part of the of the curse is that basically as soon as you get eye contact with that smile it's over and then the act of the the killing yourself is just the the trauma spreading so the demon can you know latch on or whatever so rose is giving you know a patient just died there's somebody dead now so rose is giving her statement to two detectives one of which is played by kyle uh joel as i was just talking about who the the situation is weird and we don't we don't know exactly why yet but you know she's you know she's given her statement she's telling she's saying what happened and um she's pretty calm about it you know she is over a psychiatrist um it it's kind of hinted at in the scene and and made somewhat clear that her and Joel have some sort of history but more on that later what happens next is a fun style shot of the body bag in the morgue. And all you see on the body bag is the imprint of a really bloody uh, smile. Well, it's it's the wound, like the throat slit that she made, but it's in the shape of a smile. And it's bleeding through the body bag. That's another one of those just artistic shots that kind of elevate this movie ever so slightly above some of the other movies that have gone a similar formula. And it, I believe that shot was also used in a bit of the promotional material for the movie. I think I think um, maybe there's a poster out there with it or something. So Rose, you know, she goes home. She tries to have a normal day. You know, that's the end of that. And I mean, that's her job. But at the same time, how do you just, you know... Someone who just killed themselves in front of you and supernatural demon curse aside, since we don't know about it yet, how do you uh, process that? You just go home and you're expected to come to work the next day, you know, tip, chip chop, uh, you know, to sleep it off. It's it's a it's a rough thing. I mean, literally core memory trauma opened up right there on the 2022 was the year of trauma, ladies and gentlemen, the, every, every horror movie. I mean, when you look by the decade. You can the horror movies really reflect the culture of the times a lot. Uh, of a voice for the voiceless, you might say, and they. I mean, if you look back at the fifties, a lot of those movies are like commie red scare shit. You look at the seventies and eighties. There's a lot of serial killer like slashers because serial killers, the term and you know the the awareness of them was really on the rise. You look at the twenty twenties, bitch. Trauma. The theme is trauma. We are gonna in in 40, 20, 40, 60 years, we're gonna look back on this decade and be like, oh yeah, all the movies, all the horror movies that came out at that time were just 
about straight up trauma, <laughs> the theme of the decade for sure. Because even even now, um, even in 2023, we are getting plenty of trauma, trauma focused movies. So she's trying to console herself, going around her house, doing, trying to be normal, taking a shower, that kind of thing. She has a small glimpse of seeing Rose, but it isn't doing the smile. And she isn't immediately startled because it, it's sort of just like, yep, that makes sense. Like I'm, I'm seeing visions of replaying what happened in my head. And then Kate, Kate, sorry, Rose Rose's fiance comes home, whose name is Trevor. He is played by Jesse T. Usher, who I am entirely unfamiliar with outside of this movie. However, however, I I am so sorry to read this man for filth for like the next 60 seconds, but his oh, this character is bad, man. Like bad. The character itself of Trevor is a pretty terrible character in general, in my opinion, but this man's acting performance, ooh, it is rough, rough, rough. It is elephant making love to a cat rough on this movie. I cannot take him seriously. Like, I hope he was just having a bad shoot or got bad direction or misunderstood the assignment or something because this, oh, I'm so sorry to say that this is not one of his best acting, his outings. I find every every line of dialogue he has to be just so like cringy and not real it just feels feels very off it feels like he's playing to like a melodrama and everyone else understands that they're in a serious horror movie or something i don't know it's just his his moves feel very like robotic almost i don't know i i have a hard time connecting with this character to say the least so sorry if i just consistently shit on the character of trevor the entirety of this podcast but i don't like this character <laughs> um so they after the after the fiance gets home you know they talk a little bit and he poorly tries to comfort her she mentions having a pretty bad day at work and that a patient died doesn't really get into the details of it all and then they go out to eat with two other characters who are this movie is kind of a tight cast you know this movie is actually a pandemic movie and it does a pretty good job hiding that i would say because you know with movies that came out in the height of the pandemic you can kind of tell because there's very limited shots you know like every shot has no more than like two to three maybe four people in it other with the exception of like the birthday party in this movie and and everybody's kind of spaced out it's big open environments with like one to two characters everything's tight because um you know it's it's covid they can't really be in big spaces and gatherings so there's a lot of closed sets being made you know it's that kind of it, it does a good job hiding the fact that it was filmed in the middle of the height of the global pandemic. So they go out with two new characters and it is Rose's sister, Holly and Holly's husband, Greg, who is a total like, I don't know. I guess he would be Holly's beard or something. I don't know. He's just a weird character also, but at least he's got a little bit of like, remembrance to him as opposed to fucking trevor over here 
But anyway, she, you know, they're going out and it's clear that Rose is having a hard time focusing and the sister's a little bit more of a, I guess pretentious is the word we can use to describe her. You know, she's going on about her problems, which are like non-problems in the grand scope of what's going on in every other character's lives at this table. And, uh, you know, they come off as like, I don't want to say like rich people problems, but it's clear she's well off and her, her problems are not, you know, nobody's sick, nobody's dying. It's not money. It's like, oh, I have to go leave my Pilates class early to go pick up my son from this. I'm just so busy. It's like stuff like that. And, um, you know, you know, Rose kind of has a little bit of an outburst at the dinner table because she, she's got a lot going on and they're all trying to, you know, give her shit because at one point Holly asks, reminds them about Saturday and Rose is like, sorry, what, what is Saturday? And she's like, are you fucking kidding me? It's, uh, Jackson's seventh birthday, Jackson being her son, um, and so, and you know, Rose's nephew by that means, and so they um, they get in a little bit of a, of a fight about that, and she's like, "Sorry, I have to work," and she's like, "Really? Like, why do you?" Have to? And they're giving her shit about the profession profession she chose, saying that she's either like not making enough money or that you know, working with quote unquote crazy people all day is a weird life choice. So you know, they're kind of just. It's it's an awkward dinner to say the least, but I mean I I know I would I feel very attacked. That's kind of what's going on in in Rose's head as this conversation is taking place at the table. So next day, she you know she goes to work like she, you know like nothing happened. Good old Rose, you know, just shrugging it off <laughs> for the greater good. We and, and you know this this whole first act of the movie, both directly and indirectly, does a good job painting the picture that Rose needs to do good. Like it's very Brooke Dubeck. Like I am gonna do good. That is that is what's going on with Rose. And we don't quite know why yet. Or maybe you're not even thinking about why. Maybe you're just like, she is wow, she is such a good person. But later in the movie, in the final in the mid second act and exploring more in the final act, we see why she is so adamant on living a good life and essentially trying to do good to make up for some wrong that she committed. So yeah, she's at work just trying to live live a normal life, do her job. And she notices that as she walks past Carl's room, you know, that patient from the opening scene, he is just upright in bed, smiling at her really hard, really eerily. And she's like, you know, she goes in there and she's like, what's going on, Carl? Because of course, as you know, a psychiatrist, she probably thinks that he's having some sort of break or episode. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm not as psychologist or psychiatrist but you know she's basically checking on the patient and he's just not snapping from the smile that he's doing and then she just starts yelling at her that she's gonna die she's gonna die you're gonna die it's a little i don't know i i'm not necessarily spooked by this scene it's a little oof but um you know she, she's just yelling he's just yelling this in her face and she's all like fuck what is what is going on and then this is where she you know she calls for help she's like the patient is uh 5150 whatever that is the code for i'm sure that means you know like hostile or or something and all these all these um 
nurses or, or hospital aides, I'm not sure the exact technical term, come come rushing in to sedate him. But when the camera pans back to them running in the room, the patient is asleep in the bed fully, just not even awake. They're, they're, so essentially letting us know that the outburst with him didn't even happen. So she just... She just caused this man insane discomfort and and scared him because all these all these men are trying to hol- holster him down when he was literally just lying in a bed sleeping, uh, and so it's it's a it's a sad scene to watch. Makes you grip your teeth a little bit, and so of course this gets her called into the principal's office, and she's talking to Doctor Desai about what happened and explaining the situation. And you know this character is great. I like the boss character because he's not your typical shitty, lame, non-understanding boss. He's really talking to Rose and un- trying to understand the situations the best they can. And he's he's doing he's he's being an effective communicator, but he's also not an asshole character for the sake of being an asshole. He might come off assholeish because he's in a position of authority. But I think he's really trying. It really does care for Rose, you know, as an employee and and is not he's not belittling her. He's very open to hearing what she has to say, but at the same time, being logical and realistic. So he's, you know, he's saying things like, you know, Rose last yesterday, a patient killed themselves in front of you. Do you think that maybe that could have an impact on what happened earlier. He's not saying he's not dismissing her. He's not calling her crazy or alluding to the fact that she could be delusional. She, he's really trying to work with her given the, what she perceives as reality. And I really appreciate that. And, you know, a part of me really wants to attribute that to the fact that it's played by a gay man of such gravitas like Cal Ben. But at the same time, I mean, he's just, you know, he just did a good job in this role. The director, Parker Finn did a great job giving Cal Penn direction on how to play this character. And, you know, he wrote a character that wasn't a caricature per se. He wasn't a trope. He wasn't a stereotype. So I appreciate that. And it's things like that that help make this movie much more digestible and entertaining to watch. I I don't want to say fun to watch because I talk about the, you know, the fun horror movies all the time. I don't know that I would necessarily say this is a fun one. This one is, it's not psychologically dampening, but it isn't particularly like fun like some of those other movies are. So, but it, but it is entertaining to watch because there's such nice acting performances and you're not getting frustrated with the character saying, oh my God, you dumbass, why would you do this? Or, ah, oh, fuck this character. They need to die because this. They feel like real humans in a convincing world that they've built here. Um, and, and, and another factor about this hospital setting is that in, they talked about this a lot in the behind the scenes of the set design, this pastel pink. Oh, my God, is so horrendous and offensive to the eyes. I hate this color pink. I know a lot of people like it. Anytime I see I mean, it's the shining pink. It's it's Pepto-Bismol pink. It's a nasty color. So when it's and it was uh, at one point thought to calm people, hence why like 60s mental asylums did it and stuff when in reality it has the opposite effect um 
So it is just, and, and it was done purposefully because they want to make the audience feel uncomfortable and you should feel boxed in while you're watching this movie. And, and it's, it's the little things like that that help kind of elevate the script to a three-dimensional level as opposed to the, the 2D movie that we're watching, you know? So a lot of this movie, so, so Sosie had a really big task on her shoulders because she is in... I mean, every fucking scene of the movie, there's there's she's the main character. But even other movies, there are scenes where the main character is not involved, but not smiles. Sosie Bacon is in every single scene and, and sequence of events that happens because it is really a character study about her and what how she, you know, goes through this. um This this traumatic event in her life. I enjoy this next sequence a lot because it is very scream. She, she notices she's, you know, home alone. She notices she's getting paranoid and I think she's hearing noises perhaps and starts, you know, like investigating, locking the door, getting worked up, kind of that kind of thing. And she notices that the back door is open, even though she definitely locked it. So the all of the sudden the uh, home alarm starts going off and, you know, those things are loud, very obnoxious, annoying, like very beep, 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 beep like unstopping because you know obviously the point is to alert of danger and you know she gets scared by that and starts um uh turning it off 30 seconds later the phone rings and it's the security company being like we just got a notification that the door was tripped is everything all right and you know she's she's worked up she's frantic she's giving the security word and the password and it's it's a very quick conversation because it ends you know, she says, is, is anything inside the house? And she says something like, no, I don't think so. To which the voice on the phone says, are you sure? And Rose is just like, what? And sure enough, it gets sinister real quick because the voice on the phone is like, are you sure you didn't let something inside, Rose? And it even says, you know, look behind you. The shot is a perfect back shot of of her on the phone so she she does this you know she had to act her ass off in the sequence i'm pretty sure so she she's turning around really slowly you know the audience we're we're dreading what is she going to look at when she turns around uh but before she can fully turn because it's real slow her turning around she's scared man she is shaking in her boots before she can do the full turn the phone rings again which is at like a one uh, a 90 degree compared to the 180 she was about to do and we see that the phone isn't even in her hands. She never, the phone never rang. It wasn't a real phone call. The phone is still very much on the charger, um, on the landline dock thing. <laughs> and now it's for real. She runs through the the conversation with the security guard. You know, what's your name and password, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden the police are there investigating. And it's, it, we see this demon is manipulating her reality and a good thing about this movie is that it's paced really well. Basically, every sequence of scares ramps up more and more to where the end does feel like a crescendo. It doesn't feel like we are going up and down and up and down. It feels like we are constantly building towards something. And I think also that helps play into why Smile is a bigger hit than maybe some of the other movies countless other movies that have done this premise um, before. 
And we also just get more of Trevor being an awful character. I don't know. I can't. I cannot take this character seriously. He's so awful. Uh, and, you know, her thing is she keeps breaking glasses throughout this movie because she's dropping them out of fear. So he's just like, did you break another glass? Um, and there was originally quite a long deleted sequence that would play out here where they go out to some event for his work. Who cares? Whatever he does. But it's very suit businessy and that kind of jargon that you hate to see. And it's it's similar to the dinner from earlier where she just kind of can't handle it and tries to get away. Um, there's some there's a bathroom sequence scare, uh, but it, it was a long deleted scene. So I'm, I'm I, I can understand why they cut it, but. I don't think leaving it in the film would have necessarily hurt the film. It would have just it would have just kind of been one more instance of, yep, she's she's really getting tormented right now. And we see, uh, you know, Rose is constantly having nightmares about her mom passing away, which I believe is also briefly mentioned between the sister um, because, you know, they're the child at home they grew up in is now abandoned. The mom's been dead for a while. So. It's just sitting there and they're like, well, let's the sister wants to just sell it, get it over with. But um, Rose has some kind of attachment to it and doesn't want to get rid of it. And then in another pretty big scare of the movie, you know, she wakes up from this nightmare, can't sleep. So Rose is like, I'm going to go listen to the audio recording of my my time with Laura to see if there's anything I can hear uh, that might, you know, enlighten some answers about what's going on in her personal life and she seems to be hearing some sort of whisper or thud on the audio file so she keeps on in enhancing it and trying to listen increasing the volume trying to you know increase the gain to hear this this weird sound that she keeps hearing and it's pretty tension filled because it's it's silent and you just know something is gonna is gonna happen during the sequence and they sort of switch it up on you because instead of there being a voice on the audio file, an apparition of uh, Laura appears right next to, in real life, Rose's ear and just screams Rose at her. And so she goes, you know, fucking flying and gets scared as fuck by this. And I remember this jump scare because... I, I went to go see it with somebody, one of my friends, and I, th- I happened to go pee at this moment. And when I got back, he's like, I think you just missed the biggest jump scare of the movie. And I was like, what? <laughs> because I, after on Twitter, I saw a lot of stuff about this specific scare. And I was like, what the hell are they talking about? Of course, I chose this 30 second block to go pee, but whatever. I saw it, you know, on second watch and whatnot. And so uh, after that, you know, wakes up the fiance, he comes running out and is like, yo, what's going on? Gets a little spooked too. And then we meet our last character of the movie, really a new character. And that is um, Rose's therapist, Dr. Madeline Northcott. It is her old psychiatrist that she used to see um, because she was having a hard time dealing with what happened to her mother. So she kind of just you know, shows up at her office. Um, the The psychiatrist seems surprised, but also it. Another good thing about this movie is you can really see the the um, de evolution of Rose's sanity, and she because every scene she's in, she just looks a little bit more like unkempt. I don't know how they achieved this like with makeup or like 
the way she dresses or what. But she's, you know, she goes from being this very cleansed, uh, forward presenting person. And by the end, by the third act, she's just, I mean, the bags under her eyes are real. She's, she looks like she hasn't slept in days. Her skin is flushed. Like she's just, she's going through it. And it is, it is showing like you can, you can tell. And, um, you know, to be fair, I mean, she's going through a a lot, uh, literally getting driven mad by a paranormal psychological force. (laughs) So, you know, they, they kind of hash out some issues and she also wants a prescription for a, um, uh, a drug that's going to help her sleep. Cause you know, she's also a psychiatrist so she knows what all this stuff does and she's trying to self-diagnose herself. And the psychiatrist is like, well, let's, let's not do that. Let's take it slow. And she's not necessarily being a bad psychiatrist, but also she is, you know, not really listening to her patient and trying to shove off the issue as a delusion of grandeur or whatever. So, and then she tries to confide and connect with her fiance about what's going on. And he just completely dismisses her. Doesn't take her seriously. Doesn't, isn't even really interested. Actually just kind of sits there and, and lets her talk. And then when she's done, he's like, yep, this is too much for me. I can't handle this. And he's just, this character is just so terrible. And I'm sure there was an element of that meant to happen, but I really think this actor is a part of it because even his reactions are so like, uh, I, d- I don't even know how to, how to describe it. It just feels, it almost feels camp in the wrong way. Like it's just not realistic, but by this wedge being driven between the fiance and Rose, it, it kind of builds it easier and makes it easier for Vin, uh, Vince, <laughs> that's Scream 5. Whoops. Joel, Kyle Gallner's character, to to be the sort of supporting male role that's going to help her in the end because it's not going to be this awful fiancé character. And so it's around this point in the movie that Rose starts doing some digging on Laura and, and the patient she saw because Laura also it is known saw someone kill themselves in front of her. And that is why, you know, she had her breakdown and we're learning that that is, you know, as an audience, we're learning that that's what does the, the chain of the, the demon curse or whatever. So we, she, you know, she starts doing some digging on that and she's like, Oh boy, how am I going to, how am I going to get through that? You know, there's some, there's some scares, some loud noises, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the transitions in this movie are are very jump cutty. And I think they do that on purpose because sometimes they really want to play with you and be like, hmm, did Rose just have another episode or are we just, you know, cutting forward? But we just see more distress from her. She can't sleep. She's scared as fuck to really do anything. And so she takes it upon herself to go visit the widow of the man who bludgeoned himself to death instead in front of Laura and she, you know, poses as some kind of reporter, wants to cover the story. So she starts asking the the surviving wife all these questions. You know, what was he like before it happened? What uh, did he say anything? Did he mention like, you know, smiling stuff? And they're having a conversation about it. It's pretty sad. I think this woman is also doing a really good job portraying this role and understanding the assignment. She just the way you know, there's a point where she's talking and 
and you know it's it's somber and then she describes his face and the way she says it while she breaks into tears it's so just like real and it makes me like almost kind of want to cry out of like like it's like secondhand like fuck that was heavy and you can tell so i I really like this woman uh and her performance that she gives for this one sequence of events that she's in but um yeah eventually uh we see that the husband was drawing the entity uh that he saw and was doing these like paintings and of course they're smiling in every single one of them and so it's at this point that the woman kind of starts to put together. She's like, wait a minute, what kind of reporter are you? And, you know, she admits, I'm not a reporter. This is, this, this is happening to me right now. And, you know, it's, it's pretty insane. It's pretty crazy. So the wife still in her grief, because remind, remind you, it's not like the husband died years ago or anything. The husband died, um, only four days ago or something at the point where this plot is taking place because the demon only gives, they always die after I think, I think it's like four days, four or five days, three, three or four. It's really close. So this husband is freshly dead. Like it hasn't even been a week. And so, you know, she's very, the wife is still very much still grieving, still in shock, probably, um, that, that it happened so fast, everything. So her reaction is definitely justified, I would say, especially when you don't, aren't even thinking paranormal entity going on. So, you know, she kicks her out of the house. It's intense. And it's just more of that, like, fuck, why will no one believe me? Like, you just want so bad for someone to just be like, all right, Rose, I believe you. Let's figure out how to how to do this. And, you know, luckily, Joel kind of does that later. But it's still just like, damn, I want to see this girl have like a breath of fresh air. And it's at this, after she gets kicked out of there, you know, she's got pretty much nowhere to go. So she does go to Joel's apartment and, you know, we learned that they were exes and, you know, it's obviously some time has passed since Rose has this whole other fiance who's fucking awful for her and just in general, but is there. And, um, you know, she goes, she goes to his place and she's like, look, I just, this is what I need. You're a cop and you can get me police reports. So we need to investigate further and you know to get after some convincing they find out that it's essentially a chain is that the the man who laura saw kill himself in front of her also saw someone kill themselves in front of him only a couple days prior and i believe also the wife mentioned that too the the wife mentioned that and even so uh, rose was like wait your husband saw someone kill themselves and she was like, yeah, I assumed you would know that since you're, you know, the reporter on the case. But that information was revealed. And then they basically just through looking at police reports and, and incident stuff, they find out that it's, it's a chain and that it's been happening. And they even have security footage of one of the one of the transferences uh, of this happening in which a man takes gardening shears and basically shoves them right into himself. And they find out they see on the security cameras that he was smiling while it happened so um rose is being very withholding of a lot of the information which you know makes sense she's been shot down by like three or four people at this point who just aren't believing her so it makes sense that she would probably want to keep some of the more 
outlandish sounding parts out of the story. But also Joel is like, dude, what is going on with you? Like you are clearly not telling me the whole story. And if I'm going to do this for you, you know, I, I care about you and I want to help you and I'm going to do this for you. But you got to give me a little something here about what what is what it is we're doing and why this is happening. And she she's very, very withholding in that regard. So after she leaves, he's most definitely like, what's going on? Something something's clearly off with her. And he, he does some digging of his own that we don't see until a little later. So this, uh, this fiance just further in, in installing my hatred for this character, because he thinks it is a good idea to straight up ambush Rose with an intervention of sorts, because he calls, you know, her psychiatrist over and, you know, I've got to say everything that Rose is saying in this situation is spot the fuck on because she's like, no, you don't, you know, I can, you're supposed to be the person I can trust and confide in more than anyone else in the entire world. You know, you're my partner and your solution was to call somebody else to deal with it. You don't want to, you don't want to deal with it. It isn't about trying to get me help. It's about you not wanting to have your, you know, whole life moment disturbed by what's going on with me and even him fighting oh it's so cringy i hate i just this character is so bad and i his acting is rough man i don't know how to describe it's so bad i'm so sorry like i really do not mean to shit on this dude's acting performance but it is just so horrendously bad like so bad how did this man get cast oh it bothers me so much because i don't know i just i can't i can't i can't with this i can't (laughs) Anyway, so that happens. And, you know, the psychiatrist is there like, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should talk like this and or take this step. And because I mean, she's trying to help do her job to some extent. But she's uh, Rose storms off. And you know what? I probably would, too, because who the fuck wants to be ambushed like that and just forced into a situation like that? She goes to Holly's house um, because you know, I, I I totally skipped over a really important scene that I, I forgot had already happened at this point. But earlier in the movie, there's a scene where Rose is looking for her cat mustache and cannot find the cat anywhere. She's like trying to call it in with food and it's not happening. And then a couple scenes later, you know, we go to Jackson's birthday party, seventh birthday party, as we heard about in the opening. So it must be, you know, Saturday and everything's going all right. You know, Rose was able to come because work made her take a paid sabbatical because, you know, she's clearly incapable of working under the stress level that she's currently experiencing. So uh, Dr. Desai was like, listen, take a week off, come back focused, and we'll be good. And I mean, I feel like that was the right thing to do. It's even a paid week off. So it's, um, it, I feel like, you know, that was the right first step. But anyway, point is she, um, because of that, she's not working on Saturday, so she still is able to go to the birthday party, uh, sans Trevor. And she, you know, she brings a gift. Uh, and then there was a point earlier in the movie where she was on the phone with Holly, and Holly was like, "Well, if you can't make it on Saturday, maybe at least get him a present." And he likes like model trains, so she got him this uh, this cool model model train that she thinks he's gonna love. And the scene is really, this is probably the most like, like, um, I don't know if gut wrenching is the most 
applicable term, but it's the scene that makes me have the most visceral inner reaction. Like it makes my stomach hurt watching it because what happens is, you know, it's it's a child's birthday party. So there's all kinds of people, adults and children, and the kid is opening up his presents, which are, you know, usually in this setting, a spectacle, like they make a moment of it. They're like, all right, time for Jackson to open up the gifts. Let's. And so he's opening up all these presents and he opens up the box that Rose gave him, you know, unwraps the paper and all that. And his face, you know, he sees the model train box. He's got this big smile and his face quickly depletes into a uh, grimace, frown, sort of like upset. Like he's a little kid, seven years old. You don't know shit about the world. And so he knows that something is wrong, but in, in making him unhappy, but he doesn't really know what to do. And, you know, Holly, his mom and Rose's sister is like, What's what'd you get, sweetheart? Like, what is it? And he holds up dead mustache, dead cat. Everyone at the party starts freaking out. You know, of course, this he just pulled a dead cat out of a box. And, you know, especially Rose, because, you know, he she gave him the present. So everyone's looking at her like, what the fuck? And she's like, no, 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 no. I didn't do it. I didn't. Do, I did not do that. Like, please. Like, no. And then also it's her dead cat that she loves very much. So she's like holding the cat, trying to be comforting. Like, oh my God, how is this cat dead? And everybody's looking at her like she's just an alien because, I mean, the spectacle that's going on right now is just insane. And she also, during this time, like of just peak, peak stress, is sees one of the, the guests at the party just smiling at her, you know, essentially seeing the demon. And she's like, oh my God, you guys see her, right? Like, please, like somebody fucking believe me. And... At some point, the demon jumps in front of her, which scares her so much that she falls backwards into a glass table. So her arms are just like ripped the fuck up bloody. And, you know, she just lets out this wail of pain and anguish before it just jump cuts to another scene. And it's it's hard to watch because the entire time I'm just thinking, fuck, like even even if she were you know, to, to live through the situation, conquer the demon, whatever, like everyone, she's always permanently going to be the crazy sister who brought a dead cat to a child's birthday party. You know, people are going to write her off. Like she is a menace to society because of this one incident that she ultimately had no control over. And it just really sucks to see the way that, and, and I think that's why this movie does a good job at being effective in its fearfulness because the demon can manipulate reality in such a traumatic and affecting way because i mean it's like every getting people to believe rose is like one tenth of the problem because then it's like okay you believe me now how do we stop it we can't see it we know it does this you know we we know all the people who have been affected by this before only lived for like four days. So it's just an uphill battle that is in the hill is just quickly, quickly growing for Rose, unfortunately. So catching back up to where we actually are in the movie, she goes after, you know, she storms off from the ambush. She goes over to Holly's house to try and try and explain to her what's going on. And, you know, she says, that she's been cursed, literally says the phrase, I have been cursed. 
um, and tries to explain it. And Holly is like, oh, my God, you're having a straight up mental breakdown right now. And you sound just like mom when she got sick and when she was about to die, giving us some more insight into, into you know, that whole situation. And, you know, maybe you're thinking, um, oh, was the mom a victim of this, like, smile demon when I – even by the end, I do not think that is the case. I think the mom, to me, it read more as either just straight up disturbed individual in general or drug addict that couldn't handle the uh, turmoil that is being a mother, a single mother, um, because there's like never a mention of a father. So assumedly single mother. Um, and just based off the way we we found her dead, like in the bed it, that we've kind of been seeing glimpses of already, uh, it, it gives like drug overdose to me. I, I mean, that, that's just my interpretation, but I definitely don't do under no circumstance think that the mom was a victim of the smile demon. Also, I definitely don't think that's what the movie is trying to, uh, uh, say, <laughs> but, um, this, so this, this scare here, there's, there's a lot of very notable scares, both of jump variety and, and of, of, um, regular variety, I guess. And this scare, I, uh, it was kind of ruined by the trailer for me because like this this scare was all over the place and if I hadn't have seen it before going into the movie it probably would have been more effective but um Holly essentially shuts Rose out has is wants nothing to do with this this episode she's having and straight up says like no I can't have you around when you're like this and so frustratedly Rose goes back to her car and, you know, we see out of focus, out the driver's side window, while Rose is kind of, you know, trying to center herself. We see Holly come back out of the house and, and kind of walk towards the car. And when she gets real close to the car, you know, she's she's taller than the window. So we only see like her torso. She knocks on the window. Rose looks. And then Holly, it, inverted head, like twisted neck comes like spiraling down into frame, which of course scares Rose. The camera pans out from outside the car and we see inside, you know, there's nothing there in front of the car and Rose is just frustratedly screaming and being like, fuck, like, why is, why is this happening? And we see that Jackson, the kid inside the house is looking through the window at her and can see this happening. And he's, he's pretty disturbed by it. So, um, yeah, Rose's, Rose's affliction is definitely affecting, uh, other people and it is visible to other people as well. So it is just, and that's what I mean with this movie, just constantly like being, being a depraved situation. Cause you just, it's it's I mean, if you think about it, it's literally just a scene after scene after scene of Rose going to some individual in her life that is close enough to her to where she feels comfortable confiding in them and just hopefully seeking some kind of help from them. And every single one is just like, no, and shuts her out, cast her out, tries to, you know, Trevor tries to make it somebody else's problem. The psychologist psychiatrist is trying to take a logical approach from it when this isn't a logical situation the sister just completely casts her out into the void like it's it's just like nope not dealing with this the only person that's even remotely willing to give her the time of day is joel her ex-boyfriend who is a cop so when he calls her and is like okay listen 
that was weird when you came over to my apartment earlier and like didn't and not explain any of this to me. So I decided I was going to do some more digging and this thing goes back 20 cases of of somebody seeing someone commit suicide and then they themselves committing suicide only like 3 or 4 days later. 20 cases, 19 victims. So Rose is like, wait a minute. One of them's alive. There's one of them managed to beat this this curse somehow. And so as soon as that becomes apparent, you know, Kyle works his his sorry, Joel works his uh police magic to to work in some kind of like visit with the survivor who is in jail because he killed somebody. And essentially what happens is, you know, we see a drive where Rose has just explained off screen the entirety of the movie to to Joel and he's having a really hard time processing it and he wants to believe her because you know it's it's her and he's got that feeling for her and also he's seen that she's distressed he's he's seen the evidence that there's all these cases linked together so he believes it a little bit and he's it, it takes him a minute to kind of get fully on board with what's happening but at least at least Rose has someone on her side a little bit <laughs> in this in this situation that she's going through so they're, you know, they're, they're driving and they're on their way to go do what they need to do. And so, you know, as, I mean, as soon as she finds out that there's somebody alive who's experienced all this, she's like, well, fuck, I got to go talk to that person. You know, I got to figure out what the fuck is going on. So they, they show up to the holding cell and they explain that, you know, I think they, I think they pass her off as a, um, as a lawyer or, or, or maybe they say she's a psychiatrist and she's gathering like a psychological profile on the case or something. Um, but they can only get 10 minutes with the guy because there's no court order or anything. So he's fully, um, just in jail in, in solitary. Um, and we, it seemed, at least it read to me that that was on purpose. And he did, he's sort of at peace with that because the, he thinks that the, um, this trauma demon cannot get him in here. That's kind of how that read to me. But, you know, she Rose is talking to to the man about what happened and he really doesn't want to talk about it. But at the same time, it's like uh, he, she kind of coaxes him by saying she has a patient, a young woman who, um, who, who is experiencing similar things to what this man is experiencing and explains that it kind of goes back and that there's a chain here doesn't let on that she's being affected by it because everything she's saying is true. She did have a patient, a young woman, Laura, um, who saw the man kill himself, blah, blah, blah. And then basically what happens is the man explains that he killed somebody with a witness and the demon was able to kind of jump ship that way um, by by jumping out and into the, into the new victim, sort of expediting the cycle, if you will, and he's saying, you know, this guy in behind prison is saying that's the only way. You got to make sure there's a witness. This demon needs trauma to spread, so you gotta, you gotta, this you tell your patient to go, go kill somebody, make a big bloody mess, make sure somebody sees it. And you know, Rose, stressed by this, is like, I can't fucking kill somebody. And then it's at that point when she realizes she just had an outburst, and she goes. And the the guy is like, holy shit, it's you? You have it? Get the fuck out of here. He starts freaking out, yelling, going crazy. He's like, guards, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Get him out, get her out, get her out. Because, you know, he's freaking out. He's thinking, oh, my God, she's going to give it right back to me or something. So she, he just wants her out of there. And, you know, happens pretty quickly once a uh, an inmate starts screaming at the holding cell. And, of course, the you know, the guards step in and they, 
you know, take her out, take her away, take him away. So now we're left with the information that the only way to exile this demon is to kill somebody. Um, so, you know, Rose has to, uh, Rose has got to sit with that one, huh? (laughs) So another, another really good scare scene we get, um, the, psychiatrist kind of comes over to her house, you know, makes, makes a house call unannounced dropping by to, you know, she's, she's concerned for Rose. And she even says like, Rose, you know, you and I both know I have a responsibility to report any uh, insight to the authorities. If I believe you're a danger to yourself or others. So, you know, I, I need some convincing based off your mental state. I didn't, I don't think you are. So, you know, they have a little bit of a chit chat, about what's going on. It's pretty, you know, what you would expect of the situation. And all of a sudden, you know, while she's talking to the therapist, the phone rings and at first Rose is ignoring it, but you know, the psychiatrist is like, do you want to get that? Like, it's just kind of ringing. And so she answers it and it's the psychiatrist, Dr. Madeline Northcott on the phone to which you know, she's sitting right in front of Rose. So to which at that point she's like, what the fuck? And, you know, the psychiatrist starts smiling. It's clear that, you know, shit's getting rough and she drops the phone. She's backing up on the couch because she's scared as fuck. The, the, the demon essentially in form of the psychiatrist is approaching her, uh, just kind of walking right at her while smiling. And, you know, he does that very demon voice and says, almost time Rose. And it's very like, Ooh. And so, you know, she's like, what are you? And, you know, trying to just, you know, fight it. And uh, it's a it's a pretty good scare. It's a pretty good scare. Um, definitely wasn't expecting that uh, on the first watch, you know. And so I think at this point, Rose has had enough. She's like, I just want this shit to stop. She's I think she mentally decides, you know what? I will fucking kill somebody in order to make this shit stop. So she decides her victim is going to be Carl, that patient that we've been seeing on and off throughout the movie. Um, you know, Rose is not supposed to be at work. So she, she goes in there, she tucks a knife under her sleeve, a big old expensive looking chef's knife too. Like, hello, why is she, this is, I mean, it's going to get the job done, but damn girl, that's an expensive knife. And she goes up to the, um, uh, to the hospital room. One of the nurses notices her and she even says like, Hey, Dr. Cotter, aren't you not supposed to be here right now? And she's like, Oh, I'm just, I'm just grabbing something from my office. And what the patient Carl is like really terrified of her now, especially because last time, um, he saw her, she, you know, got sick, the authorities on him and it was, it was not pleasant. So, at this point, you know, she, he's like cowering in the corner and she's trying to be like, no, it's OK. And then Dr. Uh, Desai comes in the room and it's like, Rose, what are you doing here? And uh oh, she's got a witness. So she turns around, pulls the knife from her sleeve, plunges it straight into Carl's chest. You know, then she there's some screaming and she just takes it out, digs it, digs it in him again in in the other side of his chest and just starts stabbing him over and over and over. And during the stab, Carl is like screaming, but then it turns into like laughing and he's just like almost like mocking her as she's doing it. And then Dr. Desai starts screaming and then he proceeds to just fully rip his face off, which was done 
entirely practical. It was really cool to see some behind the scenes on that. And Rose starts screaming, cut to her in her car in the hospital parking lot. It was all a demon-induced hallucination. She never actually went in there. She never actually cut a bitch up. She was she was being mentally manipulated. So she wakes up and is like, fuck. And what kind of brings her back to real reality is the actual Dr. Desai knocking on her car window and being like, what are you doing here? And, you know, they're talking and he's like, why don't you just come inside? We'll talk. I don't, I don't think you should be alone right now. And even he sees the knife on the, in the front seat. So he starts to assume some pretty bad stuff. And, um, you know, Rose is at a breaking point. And while talking, she kind of, you know, she's like, no, I need to be alone. And then she's like, oh my God, I need to be alone. So she drives off. And I'm thinking, I don't think it's ever verbally, verbally expressed this way. But I'm thinking she wants to be alone so badly because if she isolates herself, there's no, there's no one to pass the curse onto. The demon can't, the demon needs a witness to the, to the suicide in order for it to pass. So she's thinking if I isolate myself somewhere where no one will find me, the demon can't get me, or at least the demon won't kill me or something because, you know, it needs that, it needs that witness to jump into. At least I, that's how I read it. I, I like I said, I don't think it's ever explicitly said that that way. Oh, never mind. It totally is. I have the movie playing on my phone, and she fully said it. Whoops. Well, <laughs> excuse me for being a mind reader. Script telegraph. I am the fiction whisperer. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> point is, she she's going alone, and uh, I believe she's joel calls her and is like whoa what's going on i just i just saw an apb go out that you're dangerous uh, and that the police should be out for you or something what's going on so um she isolates herself in her childhood home you know the one that holly wanted to sell in the beginning of the movie the one where the mom died at all of that stuff and we're essentially in the final sequence here the finale um i think another small aside i think another part of this movie that helps makes it feel um so authentic and helps with the the verisimilitude of the entire premise is that it was shot on location it takes place in new jersey and it was shot in new jersey and they made a point to be like that was important to us you know a lot of people will go to other cities in the world and try to pass it off as somewhere else and they're and they're the setting is sort of ambiguous uh, where it takes place and they were like no we we location scouted and we fell in love with new jersey and we wanted to make it new jersey so it was important that we shot there and they did so i mean you know that i like that and it, and it helps make you know a, the world feel real because you're not finding little flaws you're not like oh my god this is so clearly la this is not the fucking midwest or whatever you know like throwback to fucking nightmare on elm street trying to take place in ohio and they fully go to the venice canals and like the hollywood forever cemetery where there are like an absurd amount of palm trees visible it's ridiculous but anyway point is the fact that it was shot on location is pretty cool and you know you know as you just don't really see that as often and it's a it's an extra step of the filmmaking craft that i can appreciate and and i'm you know when a director has a stance like that and they fight for it like he was he was adamant about practical effects they used all practical effects he was adamant about shooting on location so they shot on location so it's like i admire this director's tenacity and focus if that makes sense so rose rolls up to her childhood home she's there and it is you know she's alone she's just kind of waiting waiting for the demon to come and there's no you know this house is very decrepit it's clear that it's been 
abandoned for a long time and just sitting duck property. So it's 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 not looking great. And obviously because of that, there's no electricity. So she uses an oil lamp to, um, you know, light her scenery, which, you know, makes for some good scares. It's very dark. You can really only see what she sees, that kind of thing. Um, and so she starts hearing some noises while just kind of waiting for the demon to become a parent. And she goes into her, what was essentially her mom's room and, you know, where she found her mom dead. And we, we, as the audience basically just get some clarity on that situation. Um, she talks to, you know, like what uh, an apparition of her mother for a second. And we also like see in a flashback style, what happened where she, you know, found the mom alive and was having, having some kind of reaction or issue, health issue. And, you know, the mom was calling out for help and Rose decided not to essentially to just, let her mom die and um you know it kind of clicks oh you know the guilt of that is why she's so adamant about brooke dubecking the situation and why she wants to is so so adamant about just doing good and being a good person and and that kind of thing and so you know we just get some more insight into that storyline and and close off that arc because you know they have a the two have a conversation uh, and that's a little bit more telling. And we find out the mom was like some kind of a monster in, in her own right growing up. And even, even Holly kind of confirmed that too, as the older sister and talked about like, you know, she said that she had the worst of, of mom's craziness and that's why she had to leave growing up. Uh, why she left as soon as she could, because she just couldn't be around this environment anymore. Um, and so there's, there's definitely a rift in this, in this family. It's not, it's not the most, um, put together family unit, I guess, if that makes sense. And so of course the apparition of the mother starts smiling and, and grows into this like really large, um, um, demon with a, you know, practical effects. It's face is like, you know, really weird. And I don't even know how to describe it. It's just got like human esque features, but it's also a little monstrous. It's, it's got like long black hair. Cause it still kind of looks like the mother a little bit. Um, and, you know, it approaches Rose, it screams in her face a couple of times and, and they have, you know, some good mention, you know, he's like, you can't escape your own mind. And then she's like, well, you can't escape it either. And, you know, they get into a tussle. She hits the demon with the oil lamp, which proceeds to set it on fire. So it is just like a blazing mess. And it's like doing demon screeches <laughs> in the corner of the house as it like just is roasting um, and it. Rose just tries to get out. Rose runs out of the house. She, um, she, she did it. The house is in flames, you know, kind of, uh, cool guys don't look at explosions like that kind of thing. Like, you know, it's on, it's a, it's a, it bursts into flames behind her. She drives away and, you know, I'm thinking, you know, first watch, I'm thinking it cannot be that simple, right? Like what? And, she so because she she drives off you know into the into the daylight um she she drives off into the daylight and eventually reconvenes at kyle galner's apartment um joel at his place and uh you know she's she's thinking she beat it and it's like a you know, it's a few minutes. So, you know, I'm kind of thinking, oh, my God, is that really how it ends? Like, it was just that easy. She just lit the fucking thing on fire. <laughs> like, she just went to her childhood home, conquered her trauma and, and lit the thing on fire. But, um, of course, this is a, a classic false ending because um, 
you know, she's she, she shows up to Joel's apartment and she's like, listen, I just went through a lot and I want to apologize, but also thank you for helping me. Can I just like fucking sleep here? Like, I think I can finally get a good night's sleep. Can I just can I just sleep here and you stay here and just, you know, be present while I sleep? And he's like, yeah, of course, I'll stay with you. I'll stay with you forever, Rose. And he starts smiling. And um, in a similar effect to the short film, Laura hasn't slept. The the kind of environment starts starts crumbling and becoming really decrepit. And all of a sudden it kind of goes dark. Like uh, the, the the color palette shifts from warm whites and oranges and, and stuff like that to heavy, cool blues and greens and purples of, of like night colors, you know? So it just shifts really quickly and so uh of joel as smiling demon sort of like lunges at rose so she runs out of the apartment door which then transitions right back to the house she ran out of the childhood home and into the into the lawn to which the actual joel has arrived because he figured that's where she was going and he wants to you know help her of course so now she's like fuck like i'm not alone anymore like so she runs inside and is like no 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 no! don't come in here do not come in here like no and because it's oh man this movie movie's heavy in the end right so she you know she blocks the door and he's all pounding on it like rose just open the door the demon you know looking the same comes back out and is like you know, doing the whole, like, you can't escape your mind. And it's, it's, it's coming for a girl. <laughs> so yeah, he's, he's pounding on the door and what is most definitely the, the, like the money shot of the movie. Um, the demon gets real up in Rose's face and essentially puts one of its really large, you know, cause it grew to be like really fucking tall, puts one of each of its arms in its mouth and just rips the whole entire face off uh, and peels it back to this fleshy, bony, bloody skeleton thing. It's it's not it's not a bad effect by any means. It's it's pretty good and, and you know practical. So uh, there's some really cool behind the scenes of like the guy just wearing this with like a, a mocap hoodie and everything. It's pretty cool. Um, so uh, the demon peels back its face, which kind of puts Rose in this trance-like state like you can basically see the the almost like the life force sort of suck out of her and uh this shot here it, it does a wide shot and we see this demon which is just utterly giant like it is huge it is it is that and it's it's nothing but just like flesh and bloody skin i don't even know how to describe the, this fucked up monstrosity but it is good and it is it is practical. Like they really built this animatronic. I I was so this was the scene I was by far the most curious about seeing behind the scenes on because it's it's the shot of the movie that everyone is going to remember and be like what. So the demon takes its hands and and opens up Rose's mouth real nice and wide and climbs inside. Starts head first just diving in and we actually you know they built a a scale puppet of rose 
and that's mouth would extend like this all all open as fuck like that like it looks like she's trying to take a bite of a giant ass burger <laughs> uh and so they unhinge like a snake and the demon you know starts crawling inside it's of the way it's lit is very weird like it's a it's a good shot it's it's the shot of the movie that everybody it's the money shot for smile for sure and yeah and also the audio that's playing is very like surreal and it makes it that much more fucky but um yeah it was really awesome that this was done so so practical and that this giant fucking thing crawling inside of this there were both puppets and it's it's really cool i i just i love that kind of shit but we click uh, we quickly cut to joel pounding open the door you know he gets inside he doesn't hear anything anymore when he just heard rose struggling and screaming all that much and there's like everything is quiet there's no there's no sign of her or anything he kind of is slowly looking around with his little his dinky little flashlight that he's got and he turns turns a couple corners here and sees rose just standing like back to him it's very um found footagey almost like blair witch style because it's very pov shot and everything and she's just holding an empty take of gasoline up top her head you can see that she's drenched after he says her name, she turns around slowly and smiling. I think it should be a meme. It's very cunty the way she turns. She's just like, <laughs> I don't know. It's very funny to me. Uh, but she she turns. We see she's holding a box of matches. And now Joel here is in that trance-like state where he's just not saying anything or running or turning or moving. He's reacting physically, body language, w- but he just watches as Rose, while smiling, of course, takes uh, is holding a matchbox, takes one of the matches out of the box, strikes it, drops the flame, sets herself on fire while smiling. And the final shot of the movie is the reflection of Rose burning in Kyle Gallner's eye. Like it's pretty, it's a pretty cool shot. And fade to black and we hear lollipop lollipop oh lollipop play as the credits roll and that's that's smile that's the movie um yeah it's uh, i wanted to do this one for a solo episode because it's 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 a good movie but i don't really see a profound discussion you know i feel like if i did this episode with a guest it would be me saying exactly the same things that i said here and then or maybe the guest says some of it and we just kind of agree i don't really see with this particular film uh, more an extraordinary more value in a group conversation than what I could just say solo, if that makes sense, because my that I, it's very straightforward. Like that's my that's everything I just kind of talked about here in this last hour was my thoughts on the movie. I re- I don't really have any lingering like afterthoughts. I mean, I love that it was all done practically for sure. It, it, the story is is good and entertaining to watch. It just isn't like this movie didn't hit like a lot of the other movies that did around the time came out and maybe that's unfair of me to you know compare it to to that and that's not what it was going for perhaps but you know at at the time it came out and i saw in theaters so i still have that like impact on me and it's just kind of you know it it was good that's all that's all there really is to say um i don't really have a deadly debate planned because there's no one here to debate with me so i guess the debate will have to be amongst yourselves and and really this movie doesn't really 
it's very tight and straightforward. It doesn't really pose any questions. The the questions it poses are specifically open-ended. Like, you know, when should you get help? Should, you know, mental health is important. Stay, make sure to check up on yourself, you know, listen to your, to your friends and family and your loved ones. If, you know, don't just dismiss them. You know, it's a lot of stuff like that. It's not really like, Ooh, was the demon real? Like clearly the demon was real for the chain of people it affected, you know, or like, Ooh, how far does the back does it go? Do we think it's like an ancient curse? It doesn't really matter. You know, they talked about how it went back 20 people. That's not the point. Like, you know what I mean? Like the point of the movie is its message. It's not so much, the lore and the mythos of it all, you know? So it's in pretty much any question you can have with the movie is somewhat answered, you know, with like the plot and the characters is answered like, Oh, what's next for Rose? Well, she fucking died. So obviously that's, what's next for Rose. Like, you know, um, like, Oh, what is I, you know, what does Holly think? Holly probably thinks, Oh damn, now she's dead. Like sucks that she just had a mental breakdown. Like my mother did. Like, you know, there's not really a lot of, open-ended plot threads i don't think this movie necessarily needs a sequel i think it's already confirmed that it's happening but at the same time i'm happy that that means more kyle gallner on my screen and he'll you know he would probably be the main character so i mean okay maybe i'll take a smile too at some point um so yeah i guess i guess if you want a deadly debate it's just you know did you like the movie is it good you know do you do you think it's effective do you think it's cheesy do you think it's um it's not it is it doesn't really paint light on mental health it, or do you think it like depicts it in a bad light per se i i think it does a good job you know kind of signaling what it wants to um it came out at a time where that's you know that kind of stuff is very apparent so yeah that's that is smile 2022 um, based off the short film, Laura hasn't slept. Uh, I, I like the trend of movie short films, you know, getting turned into movies. That's how we got skin That's how we got, um, you know, evil. I think evil dead rise was even like a, you know, one of those moments, like they got it from a film festival. You know, there's a lot of movies that come out that are based off something short, um, uh, a short that gets fleshed out into a, a full length feature. So, uh, yeah, that is that is smile and uh, everything I have to say about that movie. Uh, if you want to follow the podcast for more announcements and updates, uh, post about what movies we're doing. Uh, I do giveaways. You got you know you got to be in the know to participate. Get some free shit. Uh, follow the podcast at dotd underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to follow me and my drag journeys, come support me and my inevitable trek to win RuPaul's Drag Race. Come follow me at queen underscore cream on Instagram and at queen cream on Twitter. And of course, you know, the cream is with a Q. Uh, So yeah, come Come hang out with me there. I'm on YouTube now. I have a Patreon, which helps support me and able to do these episodes and put out more content than um, I usually can. And, uh, you know, I got a merch shop, too. So come get yourself some T-shirts. I got mouse pads, cups, um, all kinds of stuff. Queen Cream, Debate of the Dead, all sorts of drag looks, the podcast logos, all of it. So... Yeah, just come come hang out, come support me. Uh, I I love doing this podcast, and it frustrates me when I can't be on time or uh, follow the schedule as much as I can. But you know, fucking life gets in the way. I am haunted by my own smile demon, and it's just life. <laughs> so I am trying 
trying my best. So please be patient with me. And I appreciate everyone who listens to this show every week and joins my conversations about horror movies. Thank you so much for listening and supporting. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>